Look, we just came back from the big Yamaganabaka corroboree on the rivers, Walgut, Bree, Burke, Wilcannia, Minini. And look, I took a group of... Um, there was, a, there was a, a convoy of 300 people. And on the rivers, we had about 1,000 in the corroboree each night. Um, those Indigenous people that come on that journey spoke to a lot of our elders in those communities and they wanted to hear from the voices of those communities, those voiceless, that have been voices over the last couple of years, look, the impact of the water mismanagement and the corruption and the corporate greed and capitalism in this country has killed our rivers. They have killed our communities. Look, we've been out in those communities. Uh, the health is deteriorating in our communities. Our old people are now dying. Our young people with a high rate of, of mental health, suicides, dialysis. People that are on dialysis can't get water to flush their machines. So they've got to move on, now migrate to bigger towns, bigger real towns and cities. So a lot of the First Nation people are leaving their tribal, their lands that they've been, you know, that they lived on for thousands and thousands of years. How do we bring back the 50-year-old cods? How do we bring back the freshwater mussels? How do we bring back the aquatic life, the ecosystem and the animals that relied on the river and the water? They are now completely dead. They're extinct. This has happened over the last 100 years. Australia needs to wake up. I'm listening tonight. We're listening to... There's two things that I can hear. It's water and profit. Why are we selling water to make profit? That's what I'm hearing. And here, my people on the river that relied on those animals for the food source for thousands of years are now dying. This is the second wave of genocide that's happening in my community. So I'm going to speak on my community and I'm going to raise a voice for those that have been voiceless over the last 230 years. That's what frustrates me and that's what's frustrating our community. Why are our people are dying young? Why are our people are suffering? Because of the greed, the taking of our water. Where is our rights to water? First Nation rights to water. We have a right to fresh water. Put the water back in the river, not just for us, but for the environment. Call for all of us to recognise and acknowledge the fact of occupation, to rethink the received colonial settler narrative. Listening to Deadly Justice with Sarush and Talula. Good afternoon and welcome to Deadly Justice. You're listening to Talula and Sarush, and today we are talking about nature. Nature. <laughs> um, and I think we'll start off by talking a little bit about what nature means to both of us. Do you want to start, Sarush? Oh, okay, I hadn't thought about what I was going to talk about, but I will. Um, nature. I think we wanted to talk about some of our first memories to do with nature. I remember being a kid and going to the national parks in and around Sydney, going to the Blue Mountains, and there's this real special feel. I don't know if you've been to the Blue Mountains, little have you? 
Uh, in sorry, in just north of Sydney. No, I haven't. No, no. It's this incredibly beautiful bit of bushland north of Sydney, and uh, there are a couple of different spots where you look out and you just see these incredible gum trees all through the lookout spots. And there's a real beautiful stillness. They're called the Blue Mountains because the eucalypts in the morning let off some of the eucalypt oil, I think. And it gives off this kind of blue... Mm. Yeah, it gives us this kind of blue um, haze in the sky. And there's just something really special about the stillness, the sounds of the animals, the way the bush looks in and around Sydney. And I remember going places like that when I was a kid seeing waterfalls and just feeling good about myself and being feeling good about being around my parents and family and and all of that so that's my nature thing what about you Tallulah you're going to tell us about what's an early memory you had about being in nature so I don't know if it's my earliest but I have one um doing the Yerman project in like 2006 I think um with all my family from Wagga and we went camping for like a couple of days we did like this big walkabout and we made windbreaks out of spinifex and we went hunting and we ate lots of bush tucker and I learnt lots of dreaming stories and sat and talked with my family and it was really um, a big learning experience for me and it was really uh, it's kind of one of those things that's really stuck with me for my whole life. Um, I suppose we're talking about nature because we want to do a series of shows on food security and water security and um, the importance of um, having things like food um, and water available to people and also conserving the environment and what kind of legislation goes around that. Um, yeah, do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so we're both part of a community legal centre just uh, on Carnarvon Street uh, in Broome and on Papuana Street in Kununurra. And it might be weird for people to think about, well, what is the connection between us doing housing work and family law work and and kind of work for Social Security? And what does that have to do with nature? But it's got everything to do with nature. So, you know, we're at a time where climate change is, is happening. We had Samaya Surprise on our first show talk about uh, the changes to the environment, but also all sorts of other things. So I don't know, like you, if you've spent time up here, you know that uh, it's a pretty scary relationship we have with food. So if there are cyclones or if there's kind of kind of wet season, the food trucks don't, don't have a clear pathway up to Broome or across from Darwin to Kununurra. And then going into communities, you just see the prices of fresh fruit and veg and how high it is. And so absolutely law relates to the cost of living and law relates to... so And our relationship to food is really important. And, and what we need to do, from what I think, is we need to move away from relying on, say, Perth and, and Darwin for our food. We need to become more self-sustaining for ourselves. I guess it's not just about food, though, isn't it, Tall? It's about water as well. Water, yeah, we should. Um, you know, it's a human right to have access to clean water. And um, it's a sign of poverty if we're not 
if we're not being able to have access to clean and fresh water and I think um, it's important it affects people's health which then affects people's education and their employment. And then as the, the planet warms up it's very clear that the people that get impacted most are the people who live uh, without much access to money. So if you are on Centrelink, it's really hard to have access to fresh fruit and vegetable. And so it is a human rights issue. Um, so for me, it absolutely relates to our work. We do a lot of work to do with social security and we advocate for an increase to New Start, an increase to people's access and the amount of social security. It's just not enough for people to live on. And so food security is really, really important, trying to get people closer to a self-determination model. And then finally, obviously, there's a kind of a spiritual dimension as well. So, I mean, we were both talking about what nature meant to us. It does heal us and help us spiritually, and particularly for traditional owners and First Nations people, there's such a profound relationship, isn't there? Yeah, so I think about um, uh, something my dad told me is that um, essentially your um, relationship with your land is what makes you who you are. So if you have no relationship with your land, you have no identity. It's so intertwined. I remember the first time I went to Iran and Afghanistan and I just had the strangest feeling of homecoming. I felt like, and in fact, when I talk, talk to people about it now, I'm always saying, the first time I was there that I went back to Iran and Afghanistan, it's like part of me had always been there. So I, I, I feel like I get that in some way. Yeah, so when, when a part of your land and your identity is desecrated, it leaves people with, um, you know, feeling displaced and, and um, lost. And so then on top of all of this, food security and, and water security, if you're already feeling displaced by having land desecrated and then not having access to food and to water, um, especially at a price that's affordable. Um, it makes life unstable and it makes people feel unstable and, um, yeah. So what we're speaking to a special guest today. We're speaking to Judy Fisher. Uh, Judy is a independent socio-ecologist and she works with the United Nations on protection of biodiversity and I know some of these are, are big terms but really the work is about protecting nature and working out ways that we can have different relationships to food and to water and to nature so that we feel all feel safer in the world we live in. Before that uh, we're going to listen to a song. Uh, we're going to listen to a song by Anoni called Four Degrees and this is a kind of an ironic song. It talks about how we have been mistreating our earth and um, the effects that climate change are going to have. Um, yeah, so enjoy. It's only four degrees. 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 It's only
Welcome back to the show. You're listening to Tulalu and Sarush. We are talking about nature today and we've got our special guest here today. Welcome to the show, Judy Fisher. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Can you tell us, we were talking earlier about what nature means to us both. Can you tell us one of your early experiences about nature? Yeah, I think um, when I was growing up and I was maybe, let's say, less than 10, I used to run every morning through um, a forested area all around the harbour of Sydney. And it sort of became my activity every morning before I started my day and went to school was to run a few kilometres through all the um, the bushland around, around the harbour, which is very close to the Taronga Zoo in Sydney. So my experience was every morning being right in the middle of the bushland. I know that bush, and every time I'm back in Sydney, there's just such a beautiful feeling. I just feel really good going back and feeling almost it's almost a little bit subtropical like the thickness of of the bush and the vines nowhere feels as special to me as when i get there and what's so special about it is it's still there today it hasn't been degraded it hasn't um it hasn't been removed and i mean we need more places like that so i I can go i won't tell you how old i am but that was a long time (laughs) ago when i was running through that that bushland and across the waterways there and it's still there today and that's really important as well so can you tell us a little bit about yourself and some of the work you do Well, currently I'm working um, very hard to try and look after the planet for future generations. And by looking after the planet, I suppose I'm 
my main focus is very much around the natural environment and how we maintain that natural environment. And just going back to what I just said about Sydney, we need to really understand how important the natural environment is for the health of people um, and also for water and food security because the, the healthier the natural environment is, the healthier these other products from the environment is. And another area that I'm working in um, very strongly is working with Indigenous people globally and Aboriginal people in Australia around their connections with the natural environment and how critically important that is also to make sure our planet is really well looked after for future generations. Uh, your advocacy with the intergovernmental platform, the United Nations on biodiversity, if I have that <laughs> It's a mouthful. It's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> How does that relate to uh, people in the Kimberley and people in communities? Well, what we're doing is we're working really hard with governments across the planet, um, trying to come up with solutions. We, we hear a lot of negative media of Extinction Rebellion and all sorts of things, but what we're working on in the solutions to keep the planet in a, the natural part of the world in a really healthy state. So we work to think and we work to think innovatively on how we're going to keep the planet healthy for people. So I think what we're doing at that very high level is also reflected in what is happening very locally on the ground here in Kimberley. So we've put some examples in our work from... Um, some of the work that Aboriginal people have been doing in the Kimberley, that feeds into the work that we're doing at a higher level. And because people are seeing that at a, high, at a different level and a higher level, those messages are going around the planet to show how critically important it is that the way that Aboriginal and or Indigenous people around the planet look after the planet is the, really the most successful uh, way of keeping the planet healthy. So um, I've, you've mentioned a couple of terms that I want us to try and drill down and talk a bit more about, not in a mining sense. I didn't mean that as a drill down in a bad way. <laughs> uh, but uh, we speak, Tulura and I, and I think we're going to do a few more shows about this topic of food security. Anyone who's lived up here uh, for a while knows if there's a cyclone or if there's a bushfire, the food trucks stop flowing from Darwin and Perth. And so I, I kind of, and, and all sorts of other things. So, for example, the we, a colleague was telling us recently that a mango costs eight bucks in Fitzroy Crossing. And right now they're dropping on the ground all over Broome. So it makes me think about this word food security and trying to understand it a bit more. How do you see what that means? Well, I think <clears throat> we talk about the overpopulated planet. In actual fact, the amount of food that's being produced across the planet is sufficient to feed everybody on the planet at the moment. So this is where the problem comes in. Where is that food? How much food are we wasting? And your example of the mangoes was a good one. Um, but also a lot of the food that's produced uh, commercially, somehow it travels to and fro across the planet and by the time it gets to where it's going to go, it may not be in its healthy state as it is. So I think we really need to think about how we can produce our food locally. And if we we're talking about Aboriginal people, just think um, how they've lived off the land for years and years. Well, sorry, 50, 60,000 years. So, you know, that food's there. Um, do we need to be eating so much commercial processed food? And I think if we can start to frame our thinking around even growing our own food um, during these periods of time, we act it's actually quite fun to do. makes you feel good. Mm. Um, and you're could potentially have a food supply throughout the year regardless of the weather conditions. 
So uh, that being said, how how do we go now back to a place where we're sustainable in remote communities or self-sustainable, sorry? Well, yeah, it's a very tricky question because you have to have good water sources. I um, mean, you can't grow food without good water sources. Um, <clears throat> the climate's changing. So once again, um, we... I guess it becomes how do we engage and perhaps through children in schools we could start to work with them on producing some food themselves so that the lunch they eat every day they might grow it themselves in their school grounds for instance and just mm. getting that understanding back um, that we can grow our own food we don't have to go to a supermarket for it I, I don't know if that answers your question exactly but really thinking about how we can produce food ourselves or within our communities um, may well answer that question yeah yeah thanks and we, you also mentioned the term water security, and then it started to get me to think about what is what would make me feel feel good and safe about my water source. I mean, what's how do you see water security? Well, one of the biggest issues when everyone's talking about a million species going extinct, etc., but really one of the very biggest issues on the planet now and across the world is the security of water and people having enough water, healthy water, for their beings. And I guess just thinking about the Kimberley for itself, I suppose, you know, we get big seasons of rain and then it's not there. So it's pretty critical that we look after the water when it is here. So the most critical part for water security is to keep the natural water really, really healthy. So if we've got a, a river system or a wetland, mm. those sort of water systems, we really need to maintain the health of those systems, make sure they're not polluted by viruses and diseases, chemicals, um, uh, cow manure, etc. Mm. Just to keep those waterways healthy is actually going to improve the water security for people throughout the Kimberley um, at times of the year when the water s supply is not so great. So well, looking after natural water sources would be the number one point, I think. Wow. I was living in Kununurra at the time that the uh, cane toad started coming through. And it was so sad going back to waterholes and seeing they just have that smell as because <laughs> there's so many of them and just not it just didn't give me a good feeling as much. And I know you've said something similar to Lula. Yeah, um, I think about old um, swimming spots near my community that were kind of always good spots to go to year round and now kind of polluted with cow manure. All the young kids don't go and hang out at there the river much anymore um yeah or if they do they may get sick um you know from the diseases that come with that so really i think if we really want to do a really good job on water security we must keep our natural water sources as healthy as possible and maintain their natural flows and their natural way of being and not interfere too much with an that is the highest factor i think on maintaining water security for mm. people um, and to keep people healthy. It's fine if you, well, it's not fine, but if you're drinking water that's coming out of a tap and it's making you sick, then that's saying something about what is actually happening about the water. It's probably coming from an, un uh, in remote places, it's probably coming from an underground source. Um, so we really have to make sure that that underground source of water is not being contaminated by chemicals or um, other things that get, are getting into the water system. So really, for water security, the only thing we can do really, really well is maintain our natural water resources. And we're just going to cut to another song. We're on a roll today with Anoni. Anoni actually wrote this album talking about the state of the world for them at this point in time. 
And so this song's beautiful one. I recommend you listen to, you watch it on YouTube as well. It's Why Did You Separate Me From The Earth? Uh, and yeah, take it away. Why did you separate me from the earth? Oh my God, why did you separate me from the Miles high and steel or nuclear. The forests of Borneo, and by water in your mouth. I don't want your future, and I'll never return. I'll be born into the past. I never, never coming home. Why did you separate me, me from the earth? What did you say again? Why did you separate me from the Ready to go pitch of hair and sticky me The sea life cut with plastic Why cross killed it gold A case of white doves Laying in the boiling snow A sharp knife of concrete The blue line of tuna's throat And I don't want your future I'm never, never coming home I don't want your future I'll be born before you're born Why did you separate me, me from the earth? What did you have to gain? You are listening to Deadly Justice with Talula and Sarush. Welcome back to the show. I was reading and I heard from you as well yesterday in a, in a lecture you gave about how <coughs> the, in different parts of the world, people are giving rights, almost like human rights, to mm. nature. Can you tell us about some examples of that? Well, there's, um, I think there's Ecuador, New Zealand, uh America, Canada now, where 
communities are coming together and even through legislation and New Zealand is really one of the strongest ones mm. where they've actually given the Wangarui River it has the same rights as a person through legislation mm. so as a person you're, we're not allowed to abuse each other or hurt each other so that river and those natural systems have that same right so that's a legislative thing that's happened brazil's working on this uh, they have in their legislation mother earth uh, ecuador has been working on this for many years there's a, a, a tribal group in america who are now will try people through their their own law if they damage their water system and then there's another one in canada this is growing dramatically around the planet at the moment so once again it's demonstrating why the natural water environment is so critical uh, for people and and the planet and that example you gave of new zealand uh, when i was reading about it it was through advocacy that the maori people were doing that's correct uh, and so it seems to me so interesting that uh, when aboriginal people and indigenous people around the world have their rights um, advocated for and protected and when people kind of work around that i feel like we are also finding a pathway to protecting nature well that's all the all the work we're doing it in now you know when people say well what's the value of this international work we're doing but all the findings out of our latest reports are showing that across the planet the places that are best looked after are those that are managed by Indigenous or Aboriginal um, community groups. They are the ones that are really advocating for rivers to have the right, have a right, the same as person. Um, so yes, we do know that throughout the world where Indigenous or Aboriginal people are managing landscapes, they are healthier themselves, as are the environment, and these places are helping us to combat the negative effects that are happening through changing climate. Thank you. You're very I welcome. I think we should use this as an opportunity also to thank our rangers doing hard work on land. Yeah, uh, so we heard from Samaya Surprise on our first show and she was talking about a lot of the work that they were doing and how fundamental that is given what you're describing to protecting country. Yeah, not only is it giving... Uh, a people a sense of purpose and um, a good feeling about being able to look after the country that they were born and raised on but yeah it's protecting the environment in ways that as you said are probably the best way and there was a, a report which came out very recently uh, showing where it had um, results from three countries australia canada in brazil brazil thank you mm. um, and it showed that in those three countries Indigenous or Aboriginal people were leading those countries in the management of landscapes and keeping them healthy and also keeping themselves and their family healthy at the same time. But also con keeping the connection to their very spiritual places and really culturally significant places across the landscape. I mean, this is one of the things that speaks most to me because I think um, a lot of First Nations perspectives of country are spiritual and are sacred. And when the Europeans arrived, the, the way it worked was land was understood as a resource to be exploited. Mm. And so how do we move away from this idea that we exploit land? It's such a terrible word when you think about it, to actually integrating it as part of our well-being and our worldview. Yeah, and that's critical. And, and really that's when people, are, when you ask me, how is the work I'm doing in the very big international space, mm. is we are really, really promoting exactly what you've said all around the globe. Um, and so when you come to a place like the Kimberley where it's happening so, so well, um, it really is critically important that 
the Kimberley can show the rest of the planet how to do things well. I think one of the ways of doing that maybe is telling the stories of the land so that it's mm. not seen as a as a thing but as a uh, an entity. That we have relationships with. Yeah. So, you know, lots of dreaming stories and traditional stories that tell about the land and the history of the land and I think maybe that's one way we can change our thinking about how we look at the land. And I think um, if you bring that thinking into the other discussions about food and water security, there's your solution. Well, that was Judy Fisher um, and talking to us today about nature and land and water and, and law and all sorts of things. Thank you for your time. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for asking me. And that's all for our show this fortnight. Uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank you. <laughs>